Brian Childress is a fractional CTO with over 15 years of experience helping businesses in healthcare, finance, education, and more to develop and scale their technology solutions. In this episode, you will learn the challenges faced by non-technical founders, what you need to know when hiring tech freelancers, consultants, and agencies, as well as the risks associated with offshore developers. You'll also learn the critical decisions of building versus validating an idea in the market, the impact of AI on startups, and how to scale a SaaS company through smart tech decisions. So I uh, really found that I enjoyed technology. And a big part of that, I think, is that technology is really my second career. Um, I had a, a successful uh, career early on as a, an outdoor guide. So I would take people rock climbing and whitewater rafting and that sort of thing and really enjoyed it. Uh, but it wasn't stimulating certain areas uh, for me. And so I, I went back to school and got into technology. I kind of just found my way into it and found it really, really fit my personality. It allowed me to really explore uh, different areas and, and really dive in deep and have really enjoyed that. And so I've been working for many, many years. Uh, a lot of my career, I've uh, both worked full time and had a side hustle. Uh, so I've been side hustling, you know, at least 10 years uh, to get to where I am. Um, and in that, you know, I've been able to, to learn and work in a lot of different ecosystems and code bases and industries and have learned a lot. But I found that working full time didn't always give me the challenge. And so I always felt like I needed to be working, you know, have some sort of side hustle uh, working with clients just so that I could t continue to explore other technologies and other problem spaces. So I, I rose pretty far up the ranks, um, you know, have held very illustrious titles, um, have accolades, you know, I have patents and have spoken at conferences and a lot of those sorts of things. And I'm really proud of a lot of those accomplishments. Uh, but I found that I, I really like being able to work on a number of different projects and really coming in and, and helping my clients to solve their problems. At the end of the day, I'm just a really good problem solver. I just happen to use software to solve a lot of those problems. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will be listening now thinking, but I'm not running a tech startup. I'm not running a SaaS business. Why would I need a CTO or why would I need to incorporate more technology into my kind of workflow? You know, they're like, we've got Google, you know, business suite. I thought that's all we need. So I'm wondering what, what are the kind of issues you see people coming up against where you step in and go, hey, there's some software here or there's some tech solutions that can help you? It, it's across the board. Uh, I've worked with a number of different startups. They're building really, really cool solutions. Um, I focus a lot on B2B software. Um, you know, I've got a, a few clients and uh, companies that I'm working with that are in the AI space, specifically in medical uh, they're doing some really interesting things. Um, but a lot of companies, most companies now are tech enabled, at least. They may not need a custom software solution, and that's fine, right? Custom software is very expensive, it's very time consuming. And so if you can avoid it, absolutely. Um, but most of my clients, they are building something internally and they need some help. You know, maybe they've hired out the development 
to uh, a freelancer or a development agency and you know either things are going really well and they need uh, my help to scale or things aren't going so great and they need my help to kind of turn the ship around and get uh, you know, things going back in the right direction. Mm. And what are some of the kind of common things you see people need help with from a, a like a tech perspective? Uh, a lot of the, the challenges that I see are when companies that aren't necessarily tech focused, so they're not necessarily building a, a SaaS platform, a software based platform uh, for sale. You know, they're building something that they're going to be using internally or with a very small customer base that they hire that uh, effort out to a development agency and they kind of hand off all control uh, to that agency or to that freelancer. And the big challenge that I, I help a lot of clients with is to regain control because when they hand off control, uh, that person is in charge of a lot of technology decisions. Um, they're in effect in control of their business because they have access to the code, they understand how all the servers work and how all the hosting works. And so if there's ever an issue between the company and the development agency or freelancer that's been hired, then the development agency has a lot of control and can effectively shut down a business. And unfortunately, I've seen it happen. I've seen companies lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and wasted months towards uh, software development efforts that just went nowhere. Um, and so a, a lot of companies that I tend to work with ha are trying to regain control of a major part of their business. And that part is the software that's being developed. Mm. And a lot of people are kind of not technically minded. So when you say they should have control, what does that look like? Does that look like kind of knowing what's going on or having kind of access slash full control of the product or services that you're you're kind of tacking onto your business all of those absolutely uh, so a lot of the control that we start to regain is access to the source code uh, so typically that might be hosted in github or gitlab or some other hosting platform uh, we'll regain control of the servers and the cloud infrastructure and any third-party uh, services that we're leveraging we'll bring that control back in because a, a lot of times what we're seeing is that the development agency will kind of just start everything, create everything within the development agency's ecosystem and not within the client's ecosystem. And so, you know, all the uh, user accounts are tied to the development agency and all the credit card invoices and all of that is in the control of the development agency. And as long as things are going well, uh, it, it tends to not be an issue. It's usually when things aren't going well that we really find out how much control has been handed over to uh, like a dev agency, for example. Mm. And when you're communicating with these agencies, how do you kind of ensure that your vision or your kind of plan for what you're building is kind of realized? What, what are the best ways to communicate with a technical team or someone like yourself? So I always like to come in as a partner. You know, my goal is always to protect my client at the end of the day, but I need to work both with my client and with the development agency, and I need to come in as a partner. And so my goal is to always work with them in a way that is can foster the most positive relationship 
But at the end of the day, I need to make sure that uh, my client maintains control. And, you know, that's my job. So, you know, I, I really try to come in and value a lot of the work that's been done, the decisions that have been made, because a lot of that is based on, you know, the knowledge that that group had at the time. It's based on uh, information that was provided by the client, which, you know, as software is being built new, we're finding out new information all the time. And so that evolves. Um, and so, you know, I really partner with these folks and then put together a plan to say, okay, this is what we need to do. If we need to change something in the code, if we need to change something in the architecture, or if we just, I just need to regain control uh, and, and bring a lot of that uh, back in house, then I'll come up with a plan and present that plan and put steps in place and we start to act on it. Uh, so I don't, I don't like to uh, delay I really like to get things moving along so that we can get back into a position where we're creating value for the business. And ultimately, that's that's the goal is to be able to use software to drive business value. Mm. A lot of my guests or I'd say a, a number of my guests have mentioned using kind of no code tools or offshore talent in order to kind of reduce costs. And so I'm wondering, like, what are your views around, you know, first of all, no code tools and the limits of those, and as well as that using offshore talent, you know, people that are in the Philippines or India or other places like, you know, South America, what is the kind of pros and cons of, of both separate sectors? Yeah, I'll start with the low-code or no-code solutions. Um, you know, I think there's a, a mix of views across the industry. I, I really like them as one of the first steps in developing a software product. Because in those early days, we need to understand the problem that we're solving, and we need to validate that we're solving the problem in the right way and that we've identified the right customer. And oftentimes that doesn't really require custom software to be developed to learn those things. And so I really like to see uh, founders and business owners kind of pursuing that avenue to do that customer validation. It's easy for us to get distracted and say, oh, we need a fully custom solution because this platform or that platform is more um, limited in functionality. I think it's it's much more valuable to try and use the limitations of some of those platforms to see how can we solve that particular problem. It's going to be a lot cheaper and you're going to get to results or feedback from potential customers a lot faster. And I think that's the biggest value add. Now, when selecting platforms, I do think that it is important to either spend some time yourself or with uh, you know, someone like myself or someone with a technical background to understand what those platforms capabilities are and where their limitations begin uh, so that the work that's being done in one of those platforms isn't completely lost. We're able to still leverage some of those uh, platform functionalities if we continue to um, pursue any type of custom software development. So I, I think there's a lot of value there, and I really like to see uh, folks explore that solution first. Uh, now, as far as uh, offshore or nearshore, you know, we hear a lot of these terms thrown around, um, and you know, I think the pandemic has really shown us, but we've been seeing it for you know the last ten years easily that there's a lot of really really good talent 
spread across the globe. So it's not all isolated in the the San Francisco's or the New York's of the world. Uh, there's a lot of really, really strong talent. And, you know, there's a lot of platforms that now enable us to really tap into that talent. And, you know, that's it's a, a lever that's really valuable to pull in a lot of businesses. And so a lot of teams that I work with, uh, you know, I'm working with a group now out of Eastern Europe and we're trying to bring on a team in Latin America. So we're trying to blend, you know, across a nine hour time difference and in, in being able to work with these teams. Uh, and, and it certainly has its challenges. You know, it's a lot different being in the same room with your team versus being spread across the globe and dealing with time difference and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think where I've seen most companies be successful in working with those teams is to have someone in the business that has a close eye on the technology, that's really looking at what's being built, how it's being built, and does it deliver the value that we're expecting? I think that's where a lot of um, uh, troubles happen for businesses is they lose sight or they, they are no longer, again, kind of in that controlled position. Uh, where they just hand off their development to an offshore resource who may be in you know, India or the Philippines or, or anywhere in the globe, uh, and they aren't really able to see the progress that's being made. And that's where a lot of uh, companies kind of struggle. And I think that's where we, we hear a lot of the um, negative talk around you know, leveraging uh, offshore or nearshore resources, which th- it's just you know, strong developers somewhere else in the world. Mm. And a lot of people will get kind of caught in this stage of building, building, building until it's perfect, as opposed to kind of, okay, this is the goal of what we're trying to solve here. Let's push that out into our systems or into our customer base and see how that works. So how do we strike that fine balance between building and validating? Because you've, you've mentioned it a fair bit about, you know, making sure that you're building the right solution. So how do we strike that nice balance between the two? The biggest uh, focus area for me is validating that what we're building is some someone's willing to pay for it. It's solving the right problem. Uh, and so really I push development, whether it's a, a no-code or a low-code solution or custom development, I push that off as far as we can. Uh, so some of the, the tools that I use, like once we have an idea of what we want to build, let's go and talk to the customers. Let's go and find the people that are willing to pay us right now for a solution that hasn't been built. When we're able to do that, we know that we've found the problem and we've found the potential customer base and we can really tap in to that and we can use them, uh, that relationship to continue to refine uh, the product before it's even built. One of the next things that I like to do is to go and hire a designer. A designer allows us to build a, a clickable prototype that we can quickly iterate on. It's another thing that we can get in front of potential customers to find out, hey, is this the thing that if we build it really is going to, to solve your problem? Uh, and as we go through those validation steps, we're learning, we're finding out more, we're refining the product overall, so that once we get to a phase where we're looking at a low-code or a no-code solution or ultimately custom software, which is really where I, I hang out, um, then we know 
that we we're building the right thing. And it's a lot easier for me as a, a technical leader to figure out what resources are required, you know, whether it's development resources or money, and you know, at least be able to give a better estimation of how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost. Uh, you know, I like to say that if you can't sell, you know, what I call a clickable prototype to a, a potential customer, then what's the chance of you being able to sell a, a fully fledged custom development project that's cost you, you know, potentially a couple hundred thousand dollars and six months to a year of work? If you can't sell, uh, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot that I can do on the technology side to help that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of founders out there now that are coming to you. A lot of business owners are coming to you now and going, oh, hey, Brian, uh, I've been looking at this chat GPT stuff. I'm, I'm all in on AI. How can I bring AI into my business? You know, a lot of people are hyped up around AI and I see how it can be used in the workplace. I can see solutions for it, but it's not always just sitting there and doing, you know, chat GPT prompts or anything like that. So I'm wondering what your stance on it is. Someone who is much more into the technology field than I am. Where can you see AI being used in a kind of more broad sense in other businesses or a lot of businesses, should I say? I mean, that's a fantastic question. I wish I knew so some of the ways that we could use it uh, because, you know, I don't know if I'm creative enough to, to solve some of those business problems. But I will share some of the ways that I'm seeing it really uh, take hold in businesses specifically. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of solutions that are able to tap into internal knowledge bases and being able to ask questions of internal knowledge. So not the same thing that exists out there on the Internet. So basically, you know, kind of what ChatGPT provides us, but more deep understanding of what's going on within a business. Um, we're seeing really interesting ways that we can just kind of aggregate and understand the sheer amount of content that's generated every day specific to certain industries. So, you know, I was talking with a potential client uh, not too long ago about how they're looking to use AI to um, parse and understand these deeply scientific uh, documents, uh, papers that are being written and give just a quick synopsis of what's going on within that paper, just a quick understanding so that a, a consumer every day can uh, get an idea of what's contained within those documents and maybe want to dive in deeper. They're even going as far as looking at generating um, you know, different types of content from that type of information. So I think it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, I, I don't know that we're even close to scratching the surface of what power AI can have for a business. You know, I think there's a lot around just being able to generate content as a starting place for emails and outbound communications and that sort of thing. And I expect we'll see a lot of that uh, come out in the next 18 months or so. Um, but I would really expect we're going to see a, a big push towards AI in the ways that we can automate and understand. Um, I'm definitely seeing it with a couple of the companies that I'm working with in the healthcare space and how they're using uh, not necessarily generative AI, but they're using machine learning uh, to evaluate and understand and predict um, potential health issues, or respiratory or you know, um, muscle and bone issues or, or something along those lines. 
Uh, so it's really, really interesting the the breadth uh, that AI is having. Yeah, no, I, I must admit, AI is definitely having a great impact on the, the medical and pharma sector. But there's a lot of kind of worries about privacy and all that kind of stuff and be, having access to data. So I know it's a it's an interesting space to be in at the moment, but it's also one of those ones where there's a lot of drawbacks. So I'm wondering for you, what are your kind of future predictions or gut feelings towards AI in the workplace? What might the next five or 10 years look like from a, a technology person's perspective you know, will AI be in our everyday workflows or will it be kind of like in the background, like you said, where we're kind of using it as a, a tool rather than the whole entire, you know, organization type thing? I expect it to see it as a tool. Um, and I expect it to kind of almost not necessarily fade into the background, but become so much part of our day-to-day workflows that you don't even understand kind of what's happening behind the scenes. And just, I expect to see drastic acceleration and knowledge workers and how much they're able to create and the quality that they're able to create just so much faster by being empowered by some of these tools. So I would expect to see quite a bit of that. Um, You know, I, I think it is a very, very powerful tool. It is very, we're just at the beginning stages. So we don't understand a lot of the biases that are being uh, injected into you know some of the data that's being used, and so I think we're still going to learn quite a bit uh, just as a society over the next few years, uh, with you know as it continues to uh, kind of eat the world. But I do think uh, within you know I, I've heard this from many people, and I I would agree that we're going to start to differentiate ourselves from our peers where. If you're using AI as a tool in your day-to-day workflow, you're going to uh, surpass your peers that choose not to use AI in their day-to-day workflow. Now, using it to solely create everything, no, I don't think that we're quite there yet. But I do think that, like you said, it is a tool and it's a very valuable tool that if leveraged properly can really accelerate individual and business growth. Love that. So let's say AI is a tool that we can look at as business owners to bring into our business in whichever way possible. You know, let's say you've got that kind of internal chat tool that's going to help you with your knowledge or help you to kind of analyze data a bit. What other tools can a business owner look at to bring into their business? You know, not specifically AI, but things that are tech solutions that they can bring into their business today that will help them run more efficiently or help them spot problems or, you know, just better track things. What are some tools that you would suggest? I'll start with a little bit higher up than just a tool, but I think one of the areas of opportunity that I see in a lot of businesses is around data. And data is just an extremely valuable thing. I like to say that it's almost free to store relatively. Um, It's very inexpensive to store, but it's almost impossible to recreate. And unfortunately, a lot of businesses are letting data kind of flow through uh, their organizations, and it, then it's completely lost. And so they're not capturing information that can be valuable for driving business decisions down the road. And so I see a lot of opportunity for businesses to do better capturing of information, uh, especially if they have a software solution, understanding how their users are using their particular platforms, 
what challenges do they have? What opportunities do uh, they have to improve the customer experience or the user experience or the employee experience? And so I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to capture the data. And then there's a lot of tools that are required to be able to digest and understand just the sheer amounts of data that an organization can create. Nice. So where should we be capturing this data or how should we be capturing this data? Is it kind of in the back end of a lot of the software we're using or should we be doing kind of surveys, using paid marketing? Like how should we be collecting this data? Uh, I, I, again, kind of all of the above. It really depends on what information we're trying to gather. Uh, so there's a lot of data that we can capture within the context of the software that we build to understand user behavior, uh, to continue to improve that user experience. Um, a lot of data, though, we can't really get an accurate view on without going and actually talking to our customers. And I think there's a lot of organizations that would prefer to capture the data that they can and avoid talking to their customers. And I think that's a, a mistake for a lot of businesses is they lose the, the view of the people that are paying for their product. Um, and when we're able to just go and talk to our customers and understand their pain points, we just have a much better idea. And then we can you know, potentially validate some of that with other data points that we have within our ecosystem. But uh, just capturing data from the software that we build doesn't necessarily always give us a, a complete picture. Hmm. And so for business owners at the moment, let's say they're, they're trying their best to be as you know, technologically advanced as possible. They're trying to make sure that they're collecting all their data. What are some of the other things that from a tech perspective, they might be neglecting. So we've got data over here, we've got AI over there. What is something else that we can kind of bring into our business to make it much more technologically advanced, should we say? There's a lot of really, really good tools. You mentioned having the Google suite uh, within an organization. So you know that with that brings a lot of valuable shared tools, email and calendar and uh, shared drive, being able to create and collaborate on documents. I think those are really, really valuable. As we continue to be a, a very distributed workforce, ways to collaborate, I think, are really valuable. And it, it goes beyond, you know, a video chat like you and I are having. Uh, into you know, whiteboarding tools um, where we can do diagramming and, and really be able to convey the, the ideas that we have to another human in a distributed manner. Uh, so you know, we see this a lot with collaboration on documents and collaboration in diagrams. And I think we're going to continue other areas of opportunity for individuals to be able to sync up and be able to do it uh, both synchronously, like if we were on a call together, or asynchronously, and being able to work when is best for me and you work when is best for you, and then we kind of just sync up uh, that information. So, hmm. A lot of people are working remotely now, and you're right, they're working asynchronously, you know, across different time zones and all that kind of stuff. It's definitely becoming more and more common. Do you have any kind of preferred tools that you like to use to work asynchronously you know there's so many different things out there there's obviously there's slack and then there's trello and all this kind of stuff but i'm wondering from your perspective is there anything you found that works just particularly well 
It's funny, as a technologist, I tend toward the least technological options as far as some of that goes. Uh, so, you know, for me, I live in Slack. I live in Trello for a lot of projects and, and client work that I do. Uh, I have very simple uh, notes that I can share with different teams, um, but it, it's largely document based. Um, for me, you know, I do a lot of software architectural diagrams, and so I'll use tools like Miro, which has fantastic collaboration capabilities. Uh, so I've found the, that to be really, really helpful. Um, and then if a client has a, another tool that they use, then I'm happy to jump in and learn it. But those tend to be the ones that I use in my day-to-day -day work. And what does a, a software architectural diagram look like? What, what does that kind of describe and, you know, sort of what does it do? Uh, so it can describe a lot of different things. Uh, so for someone that may not have a deep technical understanding, it's likely it's going to look somewhere between boxes and lines and a subway diagram or a subway map. Um, but really what a software architecture diagram and, and some other diagrams that we use, what they're trying to do is communicate visually what's happening within the system. So a lot of times those diagrams will display how data moves through the system. So it'll go from component A to component B to component C. Uh, it could uh, show us what the user interaction is with a piece of software. So when a user clicks a button, we can then diagram the actions that are taken either you know, by another uh, human uh, or by a machine, by the software. Um, all of that can be diagrammed. And I found that I really, because I'm a very visual person, I gravitate towards drawing on uh, you know, some sort of collaborative tool like Miro as a way to really try and bring everybody uh, onto the same page. And so then we have something that we can kind of all point to and, and uh, express the, the thoughts and ideas that we have. Hmm. And so I, I like to kind of do most of my learning through stories or, you know, stories from another person of their lived experience. So I'm wondering if you can kind of talk me through you know, you don't have to use any names or anything specific, but a, a problem that a client had, the solution you brought to them, and then what the outcome was, and then, you know, what that relationship looked like for you as the CTO. Uh, let's see. I'm going to do my best to uh, protect the innocent here. But uh, so earlier this year, um, I had an opportunity to jump into a very interesting AI-based project. Um, it was one that... Uh, a team of developers, uh, I think maybe, I think at one point we had developers in six different time zones, myself included. Uh, so a very distributed team uh, was building out a platform, uh, had built something that was a bit more complex than they needed, and it was a bit more complex than they understood as a team. And so they had a lot of challenges being able to deliver that particular platform on time. Uh, so when I joined the project, uh, the project was already, I think, three weeks behind on delivery. Uh, unfortunately, nothing was working end to end. There were uh, certain pieces that were working, uh, but it wasn't working. A lot of frustration. 
you know, clients were kind of unhappy and really, really concerned because we were working against a an actual deadline. It wasn't in software. There's a lot of kind of made up deadlines where we say, yeah, we want to deliver this in Q3. This one had a very like immovable deadline. And that was a big challenge for us. I came into the project. There had already been, you know, I think five to six months worth of work put in. And so I needed to kind of turn the ship around really, really quickly. Like, and so within the first probably two days, I uh, re-architected the entire system. Within the first week, we had uh, moved to the new architecture and gotten our, our data flowing end to end. And so we were receiving a lot of data from various sources. We were using AI and uh, machine learning models to make determinations about that data. And then we were displaying the result of that determination on a series of dashboards and reports and that sort of thing that were generated. So it, it was a really, really fun and interesting project that had a lot of challenges. Uh, the deadline that we couldn't move, uh, a team that was distributed across the globe. Uh, we were constantly adding uh, new different uh, subject matter experts for various areas of the data and the uh, application that we were working on. Um, we were able to get everything working. We were able to get everything flowing uh, within the first, I would say, probably three to four weeks. We were in really, really good shape at that point. Um, and we were able to deliver that before our uh, deadline. Clients were really happy. Uh, the development team was really happy. They felt like they were able to make a lot of progress because we removed a lot of the, the unnecessary complexity uh, within the system. And it just, it made a lot of sense. And so new developers that we brought on were able to understand just the simple nature of the, the software and the architectural design. They could understand it pretty quickly, like within you know, maybe a, a couple hours and we're able to be able to contribute effectively. And so for me, that was a, a really proud moment to kind of see that huge transformation in such a short time. Uh, and I'm really proud of the team and the hard work they put in. Mm, yeah. I mean, sometimes simplifying things is the best way forward. And also it's the only way to make things work, you know, in a way that makes, you know, things go forward. Right. So it seems like you've done a lot of kind of learning or a lot of kind of research, not specifically just about text, um, text, sorry, but also just, you know, a lot of things that are to do with mindset or business. And I'm wondering whereabouts you do that kind of learning. Is it books, podcasts, YouTube? Yeah. So it, it took me a little while to kind of figure out my learning style and the ways that I learn best. Uh, you know, I, I struggled for a long time with reading. Uh, I, I just felt like I was really slow and what it, wasn't able to really capture the information. But I'm really, really good at auditory learning. And so I, you know, I probably go through an audiobook a week. Um, I, there's a many podcasts that I subscribe to and listen to regularly. Uh, so I'm, I'm that person that listens at 2x of pretty much everything. I, I'm confident that I'm capturing the information, so I really am. It is uh, landing for me. 
you know, I'll watch YouTube. You know, I do a lot of like if it's a technical topic, I'll watch like technical conference talks uh, while I'm washing dishes. And again, I'm going to ramp it up to, you know, 1.5 X or 2 X speed so that I can get through a lot of content. Uh, but that tends to be the area that I uh, or the ways that I consume the most content. And then I think it's it's not only consuming the content, but it's also putting it into practice and implementing what you learn. And so for me, that's an opportunity to to implement it for my clients and be able to deliver value, um, you know, based on things that I, I may have learned the week before. Mm. And what are some audiobooks or podcasts or YouTube channels that you've really got a lot of value from or that you get continue, continued regular so, value from? I think most recently I've been listening to a lot of uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy's books. So 10X is Better Than 2X and Who Not How and a lot of those types of more business-focused books. Uh, a lot of those focus more around mindset. I've really gotten a lot out of, out of those books. Um, my general rule of thumb is if someone, if I hear about a book, for example, from two to three people, I'll add it to my list. I'll, you know, I'll go ahead and buy it and listen to it. Uh, so, you know, because I'm just such a, a ravenous consumer of uh, audiobooks, you know, I, I tend to, to kind of go uh, in new and interesting areas. Mm. Uh, and what was the kind of main takeaway that you got from the two um, 10x is better than 2x and all that kind of stuff what was the thing that stuck a lot of it you? just really comes down to who you surround yourself with and who you're working with you know we're we're able to do a lot as you know high performers or high achievers can really do quite a bit but there is a ceiling that's created and we we have to find ways to um work with others and empower others in collaborative ways in order to break past that, that ceiling that's created uh, just by our own abilities. So um, yeah, I've, I've really started to lean into that more and in trying to find ways that I can collaborate more with others to be able to you know, help them to achieve their goals and for me to uh, continue to pursue my own. Cool. And what are your current personal goals? Do you have like health goals, business goals? Like what kind of goals have yeah, you got at the so moment? Yeah, so I recently joined a new mastermind and I'm very excited about some of the ways that um, goals are, are presented and kind of talked about within that group. Uh, so for me, yes, there's certainly some some health goals. I want to find a something adventurous to go after, you know, whether it's a, a triathlon or... Uh, climbing a, another mountain or, or something big that I can start to train for uh, and go after probably in 2024. Um, you know, I've got some some financial goals, some business goals. Uh, family is really important, so I'd like to be able to do some more travel now that you know things have uh, shifted for us and we can do a bit more travel. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to be doing at least, you know, let's say two international trips a year and, uh, you know, going somewhere fun once a quarter. And so, um, but in order to do that, you know, I have to continue to kind of position my business in a way that allows me to uh, achieve some of those goals. Hmm. 
And I'm glad you brought up masterminds there because a high percentage of my guests have been in masterminds or a part of a mastermind. And I always ask them, you know, how did you find the mastermind? Obviously, you said what you're getting out of it is, you know, you're being able to structure your goals better. But how did you find the mastermind? And, you know, what keeps you in this mastermind? So I think I, I found them through... I just started looking for them. And so I didn't, it, it's it's pretty, it's gotten easier, but it's still pretty hard to like go to Google and say masterminds in my area or mastermind based on this. Um, so most of them I've gotten connected to through other connections on say LinkedIn, for example, and kind of being brought into that ecosystem. And really what brought me into those masterminds is a shared kind of set of goals and a shared set of operating principles. And so just getting around people that were a bit more like me and thought a bit more like me or could even go against uh, some of my thoughts and really push, but we're all trying to grow and achieve uh, together. Um, and what keeps me in is is that community, is that those relationships that are being built. And for me, I I need the accountability. And so I look to others to hold me accountable and I like to you know, help others uh, be accountable as well. That way we're all kind of growing together. Mm. And so would you say at the moment you have a, like a growth mindset that you're seeing yourself being able to grow your business and you know, grow yourself as a uh, person? Very much so. Very much so. And you know, I can certainly recognize some, you know, if you look at the, um, growth versus limited mindset. I certainly still have some of those, um, you know, limiting, uh, beliefs, but I've certainly, you know, through a lot of the reading of the books and implementing of uh, the things that I'm learning, uh, really seen a, a strong shift towards a growth mindset and really looking to, you know, I mean, there's so many amazing opportunities out there available to us. Mm. And you, you said earlier about, you know, if you read something, you're looking to implement it. What is the most recent thing you've implemented that you've read or come across? Uh, so I, I've been looking for better ways to manage my time. And so I've, you know, tried various ways to schedule, you know, every minute of my day. And so I, I found a new way that seems to be working around time boxing because, you know, I have... A number of different projects that I'm working on or goals that I'm pushing for. And I need to allot appropriate amounts of time towards those efforts. And so what I've done is, uh, and I think I stumbled across it on YouTube, um, but basically a, a new time boxing method where I can write my top three goals for the day. Um, I might have some other kind of miscellaneous tasks that I'll identify. And then I write out uh, every day uh, on my schedule and break it down into 30 minute increments. And then I start to assign, you know, if it's a meeting, then I'm going to put that on my calendar. And then the the time that's left, I'll tie to those different tasks and start with the most important one first. Lovely. Well, it, it seems kind of like that you're a type of person who is always constantly growing, constantly evolving. And, you know, with that comes an element of, you know, self-satisfaction. You become a happier person, you become a healthier person. But I'm wondering for you, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? I like to help 
people grow and I like to see the growth in other people. Uh, you know, I, I think going back to some of my earlier uh, professional pursuits and, and being a, a, a guide, I really enjoyed seeing people learn and experience new things. Um, and I continue to try and find ways to do that now. If it's working with a, a business owner or with a startup founder, really seeing them kind of light up and you know, feel like a, a weight has been lifted off their shoulders because we're moving in a better direction. Um, you know, I, I really get a lot of joy out of that. Where can the people find you online? So I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Uh, so Brian-Childress on there. Uh, feel free to reach out, send me a, a message, a, a connection. I'm happy to uh, connect with anyone. Um, you know, I, I have a website as well. And yeah, so I'm excited to, to connect with anyone, uh, anytime. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 